Well, hello. Belly up to my bar here and let's chat a little Steelers. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Live Casino. I am Matt Williamson. You probably know that by now. Folks, football season is here and Live Casino is where FanDuel Sportsbook, America's number one sporting app, comes to life. Step up and place your bets as our self-service kiosks or with a sportsbook representative. Then cheer on your team and catch every heart-pounding moment of action on our huge 40-foot video wall. Bet, watch, and win at Live Casino Pittsburgh. Route 30 at the Westmoreland Mall. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Appreciate all the feedback on my articles in these podcasts. Seems like you guys have been enjoying it. Fantastic. Here's the plan for today. I am going to introduce you to the Philadelphia Eagles, and in the second half, I want to spend five minutes or so talking, should Chase Claypool be on the trade block, and is that a, a move that makes a lot of sense? So, as we often do, I'm just going to go through my stats and numbers of Eagles versus Steelers. These are going to be very general. It's not when the Steelers have the ball specifically or when the Eagles have the ball. We'll do that tomorrow. Um, the, the crux of it though, is the Eagles are really, really good. And I very much believe that there are three elite teams in the NFL right now. The Bills, who you saw what happened there, the Eagles and the Chiefs. And I don't know who team number four is in the league right now. I'm starting to warm up a little bit to Cincinnati. I think Dallas with Dak could be in that conversation, but it's a gap. These three are standing alone as the true contenders in the league. And the Eagles, frankly, if you care, but have a the easiest path that you can imagine. I mean, they've played a very easy schedule so far. Well, they've played an easy schedule so far. They play a very, very easy schedule the rest of the way. So this team has a chance, should be the number one seed in the NFC. This is a juggernaut, and they're playing really, really well, and they can do, they're not, they can play left-handed. You know, they, if you if you to take, totally take away the run, well, they beat you with weapons and hurts now. That's what's different from last year. They're dominant the line of scrimmage. They're good versus the run and the pass. They're a hard team to come up with weaknesses for, and they're really well-constructed. So let's dig into it. Here's some basic things. Needless to say, folks, almost all these things are going to greatly benefit the Eagles as opposed to the Steelers. Um, the Eagles are coming off their bye, so they're well-rested, great, and have yet to lose a game this year. I'm sure you're familiar with that. They're plus 56 in point differential. They've outscored their opponents by 56 points. These Steelers have been outscored by 55 points, so they're kind of equally as good as the Steelers are equally bad in that department. Same is true. As you know, I'm a big yards per play guy. Philadelphia's offense is producing 5.6 yards per play compared to just 4.8 by the Steelers offense, which is last in the league, by the way. Uh, The Eagles defense surrenders just 4.7 yards per play. If the Steelers are at 4.8 on offense and that's last, you can understand that's pretty good for the Eagles. And the Steelers give up 5.7, which is even more than Philly is producing on their own. I didn't realize this until I dug in. Kind of snuck up on me. But the Steelers are only 2-8 and eight in their last 10 road games. And that includes going to Kansas City in the playoffs. But 2-8 and eight on the road in the last 10. And this is even more disheartening. They have lost 9 in a row in Philadelphia. 
Ouchie. However, we talked about strength of schedule. Um, Steelers have played a very difficult schedule to this point, and it gets even more difficult this week. But the collective record of the Steelers' opponents this year is 26-21, and 21, which doesn't sound that outlandish, but think about all the parity and all the 3-3 three and three teams. And, you know, so playing a schedule that's over 500 by five games is pretty substantial. However, here's the kicker. The, the teams the Steelers have played this year have collectively outscored their opponents by 150 points. And Buffalo's the biggest contributor there, but you know the, these teams have been better than the teams they played by 150 points this year, which you know is also factoring in their game against the Steelers. Um, so along those lines with point differential, the the average final score of a Philadelphia Eagle game is them winning 26.8-27 to 17.5. They basically win every game on average by 10 points. Um, mentioned Steelers on the road. Philadelphia has won six of their last seven home games, with the only loss coming in week 18 of last year. And that was a game that the Eagles rested all their starters to prepare for the playoffs. So, in a way, meaningful games, they are six of their last six at home. Turnover differential. Holy smokes. I mean, they are blowing the rest of the league out of the water. They've taken the ball away a dozen more times than they've given it away. They're plus 12. That's phenomenal. The next best team in the league is plus six. They're double number two in point differential or in turnover differential. They have the most takeaways, the second most interceptions. They've yet to lose a fumble, and they've only thrown two picks all year. They're the only offense in the league with under four turnovers. Now the Steelers are minus two in turnover differential, and their nine interceptions thrown is now the most in the league. Um, but only the Bills and Eagles have more interceptions than Pittsburgh's defense. That's why they're even close to zero at this point. Um, Steelers' time of possession is gradually ticking up. They're, they're just under 29 minutes now. Obviously, 30 is league average. However, the Eagles are the best in the league by a wide margin here. They're one second under 34 minutes per game, which is a giant number. Um, in terms of rushing first downs this year, the Eagles have generated 61 first downs on the ground compared to 35 by their opponents. That's bonkers to me, too. Um, the Eagles' offense averages 8.2 yards per pass attempt. Their defense surrenders 5.5 yards per pass attempt. That's a pretty big gap. The Eagles, a big run team, and they often play with a lead. They've run the ball 225 times this year. Their opponents have just 132 rushing attempts. So they're almost doubling the number of rushes against their opponents. However, this is one negative. They only average 4.2 yards per rushing attempt, and they're giving up five yards per rushing attempt. Mm, okay. Um, here's another one that's making me crazy lately with the Steelers, is the Eagles' offense starts their drives with the eighth best field position. Pittsburgh's offense starts with the ninth worst. This is what worries me more, though, from a Steeler perspective. But the Eagles' defense starts with the league's best field position. 
Only the Saints defense starts with a more precarious spot on the field on average than Pittsburgh's defense. So only the Saints defense, every time they walk out there, is closer to their own goal line than Pittsburgh's. It's terrible. I mean, it's it's just terrible. So that's a wrap for the, the general welcome to the Eagles, introduction to the Eagles. Um, folks, they're really good. Coming off a bye at home, rested. <laughs> uh, I don't have high hopes. I'm sure you don't either, but okie doke. Uh, I'll be back in a minute, talk a little bit of Chase Claypool, just wrap it up with a few minutes. All right, I understand Chase Claypool being on the block. You know, there are a lot of teams that could use him. You know, there's a great demand for wide receivers right now, even though there is a lot of, you know, receivers in the league. But everyone plays three, four, and there are some teams that are very short right now. Like, I just pulled up the standings. And they're not going to trade him to Baltimore, but Baltimore could use him. I'm, I'm just looking at teams that are contenders. Tennessee is four and two. They could absolutely use Chase Claypool. Jacksonville's two and five, but I think he would be a good fit there as well. Uh, I don't think they're out of it, especially in the division they're in. Maybe the Chargers with these Mike Williams injuries. I mean, they they need another guy in a bad way. Um, the Giants come to mind. Dallas, possibly, probably not, though. Um, How about the Packers? Oh, boy, could they use them? The Bears, even though they're not a contender, they're so bad at wide receiver, and Claypool's contract's not up for a while, so he's not just a rental. Um, Atlanta, possibly. Carolina, possibly. Probably not on either one of those. I don't think they're contender-y enough. Um, and what about Seattle if Metcalf misses time? Although that looks promising that he'll be back. So those, I mean, if all those teams have, well, if one third of those teams have interest, maybe you get something decent for Claypool. And here's the rub to me is I've seen Bill Barnwell and people with pro football focus and you're seeing more and more trade deadline articles. And some of the the compensation I've seen for Claypool with some of these teams I've mentioned is much higher than I expected. You know, like Pro Football Focus put something out today, trading Claypool for a second this year and a third next year. And I think Barnwell was close to that as well, second and maybe a fifth this, this year, something like that. And the reason is he's had, he's cheap, he's young. He's not a rental. You have him for a couple of years. Um, he's versatile. He can play outside. He can play in. He's clearly talented, and he's had success in the league. I don't think you get close to that, though. I, I mean, I, I just think, you know, a second and a third, a second and more than that, you know, two premium picks or, you know, not first, of course, I would trade him in a heartbeat. And I like Claypool. I think he's playing well. I just don't think that the compensation that people are throwing out there is close to reality. I mean, I, I kind of think that if if a contender offered you a third, 
That's where I would have to kind of think about it. A fourth, no, especially if it's a contender and it's late in the round. A third, maybe. Um, a second, yes. You know, uh, that's kind of where I'm at on it. A third this year, a third next year, yeah. You know, something for that along those lines. I mean, I get it. But here's the deal: is I know a lot of people are like, "Well, I want to see, Tur- I want to see Austin." You know, I mean, he can be the replacement. You got the replacement on the roster. Yes and no. I mean, I think Austin can be a slot. Um, he did most of his work in college on the outside. Austin and Claypool physically don't look anything alike. I mean, Claypool's 75 pounds heavier than him and much bigger. And Austin's not going to block like Claypool does from the slot, which is valuable. And you don't have to do anything with Claypool for a couple of years. So, and probably when he hits free agency, you'll get a comp pick. I know that's a couple of years down the road. So I'm not anxious to sell him. I, I just don't see the need. You want to make your quarterback as comfortable as possible and familiar with his receivers as possible. That's goal number one here. But if anything resembling what people are thrown out there in terms of compensation is even true or on the table, then yeah, you do it. And draft another receiver in the third round or, you know, next year and give Austin a shot. And I actually kind of like Miles Boykin a little too. I wonder what he would look like in the Claypool role, role out of the slot. Or even maybe that's, this just kind of dawned on me too. Um, maybe you would start to utilize Hayward as a slot wide receiver a little bit more. I mean, he's even a better blocker, but he's a route runner and I want to see more of him. So that would be one of my solutions. If somebody knocks your socks off with a draft pick that I would bump up Hayward snaps. And of course, Austin would be looming, but Austin ain't Claypool. I'm not saying he's not better or worse or whatever. I can't wait to see the guy, but he hasn't practiced at all. You don't have any clue what he's like. And you do want to see him this year, but he's a very different style slot and receiver, period, than Claypool. So just want to throw that out there because these rumors will be swirling until next Tuesday. Uh, Thanks again. Over and out. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.